It's just past 7 o'clock, and here we go. It's Monday night, time for Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Usually we have a, a long, fun intro here where we recap where Ira's been. He's got some good stories. We'll get to that soon. But first, we've got to get to a very special guest, legendary NFL quarterback Joe Theismann, I believe, is on the line now. Joe, thank you so much for joining us here on Iron Sports. You are welcome. It's my pleasure, and I do love sports. <laughs> What's up, I? So, Joe, you have a book out, How to Be a Champion Every Day, Six Timeless Keys to Success. I read it last night. I think I accomplished more today than I have any other day. That was such motivation. It was great. I loved it. But this is Super Bowl week. You are one of 33 people to ever have quarterbacked to win a Super Bowl. So you're one of those 33. There's, there's been more U.S. presidents than been quarterbacks to win a Super Bowl. <laughs> so going heading into the Super Bowl, what, what was your feeling? You played in two of them. What was your feeling this final week before the big game? You know, it was interesting, Ira, because uh, the first one, we only had one week. It was a strike season in uh, 1982. So, you know, as soon as we, everybody went in as a wild card, as soon as we beat the Cowboys, we hopped on an airplane that Monday and headed for Pasadena. The second one, uh, the one in Tampa against the Raiders, we had two weeks to get ready. And it was a different experience for us, but usually the first week, this past week, you try and take care of all of the tickets, the family reservations, a lot of what you know I guess would be considered distractions. So that now you get into this week and you start to focus. Tomorrow they'll have media day. If, I don't know if they had it today, but normally media day is on Tuesday. And then you try and get into, <laughs> to say this is funny, a normal work week where you have your practice schedule, you have your time, you give the guys a time off, and you keep emphasizing to them that you've worked too hard to get this far to do something stupid that doesn't allow us to win. And you mentioned in the book about seizing the moment. You talk about one moment in time by Whitney Houston. When you're playing in this game, in the Super Bowl, do you, you, do you ever say, it's just another game? But is it, do you think of it as just another game, or do you realize this is the Super Bowl, this is the final game? You know, it's become so much bigger. Um, it, was, it was big back then. I mean, they put us on a stage where you had, you know, a, a lot of media from around the world, really more around the country than around the world back then. Um, now, all of a sudden, it, it's gigantic. I mean, it, it is worldwide. It is one of the most watched events in the world. Um, everybody knows you from different parts of the world. And it's hard not to understand exactly what the magnitude of it is, except for the fact that Jalen Hurts played at Alabama, then went to Oklahoma. So he's been exposed to a lot of media. Philadelphia, a lot of media. Patrick Mahomes, this is his third trip in four years to the Super Bowl. So it's sort of like, you know, it's almost like a homecoming for him. I think if you were if you had two quarterbacks that hadn't experienced this before, I would probably say that the moment is very, very unnerving at times. But not for these guys. They're used to dealing with a lot of questions. They're used to dealing with a big environment. And that's exactly what they're in right now. You went talk about major colleges. You went and chose to go play at Notre Dame. Um, I loved in your book how you broke about, you talked about, remember, this book is so good because it doesn't just go over your life history and everything, but it talks about, it's motivational. It's Tony Robbins. It's telling things. It's, it's about recognizing your opportunity. And you felt like when you walked around campus and have a Rocky Blyer, who I'm a big Steeler fan, took you around, and you felt like this was home, this is where I wanted to go, and then you were one of 13 quarterbacks and you made, you know, became one of the greatest quarterbacks in the history of Notre Dame. Well, thank you. I mean, it was really, it was an interesting road. It seems like 
I've made decisions and changed my mind. You know, I was going to go to Miami. I wound up going to Toronto. I was going. I signed at North Carolina State University, and then I wound up going to uh, to Notre Dame. And and really, it's and I believe this because I walked around campus. You know, it was it was sort of an afterthought for me because I don't think they got anybody they wanted. I was a 152 pound skinny kid, and like I said, you were, like you mentioned, I was one of 13 quarterbacks. But when I got when I got walking around the campus, and I remember getting off the plane in New Jersey, and my dad said, what do you think? I said, I have to go to Notre Dame. And he <laughs> said, why? I said, Dad, it just feels right. And that's really one of the things that I, I really try and mention in the book is quite often, if we trusted our gut, we'd probably be right a larger percentage than if we just decided to go through the analytics and, and all the different pros and cons and everything else. But our gut's a pretty good indicator. And yeah, I really love doing the book. I appreciate us getting a chance to talk about it. Um, I learned so many lessons from so many other people. And, and that's, you know, another thing I point out is, is I hate to break the news to everybody, but you don't know everything. <laughs> and, my, and my favorite saying is really the day you stop learning is the day you stop living. And then at Notre Dame, you ended up, uh, I just couldn't believe it, Jim Plunkett won the Heisman, you were second, and Archie Manning, Peyton and Eli's father, finished third. And what a what a, a, an esteemed group of, of top three finishers there for that Hall of Fame. You were 23-2. and two. It just means, it, I think from that perspective, it, it, your, your success there and be able, I think when you wrote in your book, how I, the one thing I liked that you said is that you got there early, you learned the plays, so when the first quarterback came out, you're like, I wanted to be ready to, ready, I want to know the plays for everybody else. Well, you know, I, I call it a competitive edge. And in life today, how do you create a competitive edge, whether it's in a relationship, if you're, you know, trying to date someone or get to know someone, if it's a business relationship or if it's in a sports relationship, because really the book is based off of three premises, the, the world of sports, the world, the world of business and our own lives all parallel one another. And you can, you can find similarities. And I, I reference them going through the book. And, and I really, you know, I, I really try and focus on, I think things that I've been through, but also from people I've talked to, and it isn't just me, you know, um, general Powell has mentioned that, and, you know, different friends that I've known, different individuals I've known, Joey Bozick uh, on leadership. Joey's a triple amputee. And, you know, when I talked to him about us playing a golf tournament with him, I'll get back to competitive edge in a second. But I'm, when I was talking to Joey about, you know, leadership and, and what happened, and, you know, he had a IED go off under his Humvee when he was in Iraq. And he was in the passenger seat. There was a driver and somebody in the back. And, and he, he lost parts of three limbs. And I said, what's it like? He said, Joe, I can live with where I am because the men that I was responsible for are okay. And I mean, that's, that's taking, you know, that, that's just incredible to me. And I, I decided that, you know, how can you gain, and I say this to everybody who's listening, how can you gain a competitive edge? Is it putting in a little more time? Is it studying a little bit more in school? Is it, for me, I showed up one week early I was one of 13 quarterbacks. I showed up one week early. So when we started practices, coaches are like owners of businesses. They like things to run smoothly. So I was the first guy in line. Now, you create the competitive edge, and then you have to be able to deliver when that opportunity presents itself. As a matter of fact, the first chapter in the book is opportunity. And um, you know, that's sort of the way I've looked at the pandemic when, in 2020. It wasn't necessarily as much of a change for a lot of people as it was an opportunity 
to be creative, to evolve, to adapt to different situations. Yeah, and one of these, you mentioned one person who's in the news right now this past week is Tom Brady. You mentioned him a number of times in the book because everything you're looking for, you talk about enthusiasm and, and, and how he never wants to be taken out of practice. Just like you played in 163 consecutive games. You never missed a practice like Brady. Uh, just talk a little about Brady and what kind of source of inspiration he should be for so many people, including yourself. I think, first of all, when you look at Tom, what he did up to the age of 45, you know, to me, that's 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 out of this world kind of uh, being healthy, having one knee operation or one knee problem over one year through all those years in his career is a blessing. Um, you know, he, you know, he's, he's a physical freak, I guess the best way to say it. I mean, he worked hard, took care of himself, but then you have to be lucky to a degree not to take the hits that take you out. You know, sometimes, I mean, we saw Kyler Murray just playing his foot, knee. We saw Zach Wilson with the Jets playing his foot, knee. You know, Tom wasn't going to play in his foot because he really never ran anywhere, so it was, it was okay. But, I, you know, and I, I'll never forget, I love asking people uh, that have accomplished something in their life, one simple question is, what made you great? And the answer I got from Tom was, the right time, the right place, and the right people. And, it, you know, I think that applies in every walk of life, whether it's business, your own personal life, or sports. It's the right time the right place and the right people, or sometimes the right person. Um, and you can enjoy the success. So when we walked into the studio just now, the person at the show before me said, don't ask him, don't ask Joe about the, his broken leg. And, and, and I'm like, well, he writes about Why it not? in his book. <laughs> He's talking about it. And so, but you mentioned how that was that horrendous night of it, but, but how that defined, it wasn't like the end of yours, but it, it was set, you know, your path the rest of your life and how you dealt with it made you the person you are today. It was the beginning. I think, you know, with the success that I was able to enjoy as a part of our football team, and so much of it had to do with the guys and the coaches and everybody in the organization, I felt pretty important. I felt pretty lofty. And, you know, I had a pretty good size ego. My friends will tell me I still have one. <laughs> I've tempered it. For, I've really tried to temper it to a large degree. And, I, I, you know, and then all of a sudden, everything that was important to me, which was athletics and being able notoriety and the movies and the trophies and all the rings and all that stuff had no significance whatsoever when I got hurt because it didn't matter anymore. That guy couldn't do what the guy that did those things to get those things wasn't around anymore. And it really brought my feet down to earth. And it, it really gave me a perspective on what's important in life. And what's important in life is relationships and the people that you have the relationships with. And those that you can affect in a positive way. You know, I, I got this whole saying backwards. You know, I used to think that, you know, I was on this earth to be served because I was Joe Theismann football player, la di da di da <laughs> But the truth of the matter is, is you're put on this earth, we're put on this earth to serve others. What can you do for other people? Is, is it as simple as maybe carrying groceries for someone? Is it as simple as opening a car door? Is it as simple of passing up a parking space when you see someone who may need it a little bit. Well, there's so many little things that we can do in our life to be able to take care of and serve others that, you know, sometimes when you get feeling too good about yourself, you don't pay attention to the right things. 
I liked what you said in the book about your relationship with Lawrence Taylor, who the greatest defensive player in the history of football. And I thought, oh well, you'll you know you probably hate him, whatever. You you play golf with him. You you hang out with him now. It's it's amazing that you were able to to have this relationship with someone who ended your career. Oh yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, the NFL did a football life on me about two and a half months ago. Of course, Lawrence came down to Washington, and we we walked through RFK Stadium. The place is all rusty and weeds it was sort of surreal to be there with them and we talked about that night and you you know if anybody has seen that video you see how upset he was and like he, he said he said I, I don't i don't go out there to try and hurt people um we play a violent game sometimes things happen um when we do play golf i just don't let him stand on my left side where i can't see him <laughs> I did, and you did make a comment that I just, I, I, another one of my, I told my friend who had an injury, and he, he said, I agree with Joe 100%. You said you walked in your locker room months after your injury, walked in there, saw your locker, and some, a quarterback, Barkowski, was, was in it. Your stuff was in a box, and you said, my teammates became acquaintances. They weren't my teammates anymore. Right. They, they, they you know, you're not part of, you're, you're, you're always, you're always a relative, but you're not really part of the family. Um, you know, those are the, your, your, the practices that you go through, the, the meetings, the, the ups and the downs, and those are all emotional as well as physical experiences that you go through. And then all of a sudden, you're really on the outside looking in, and, you know, they have to get ready to do their job. Uh, and, and, you know, there's no sense feeling sorry for yourself because you're not going to get any sympathy. It's a tough league. It, uh, football, I, I remember somebody said a long time ago, you may love football, but football doesn't love you. <laughs> back. It, it doesn't love you back. I mean, you, you, I mean, we see guys, guys get cut, guys get released. These, this is, you're talking about childhood dreams that all of a sudden you know, never come to fruition. Guys don't make it in camp. You wanted to be a, a professional football player, and all of a sudden you can't because – the opportunity didn't present itself or maybe you weren't good enough. Um, but it was, to me, it was just an incredible ride. I mean, 15 years of professional football was just a, a wonderful experience and a growing experience for me as, as it turns out. Um, I have to ask this question because we're down here in my, in South Florida, we're on six radio stations. Uh, you signed with, you were dra drafted by Miami, but you told Don Shula no, and then went to Toronto instead. <laughs> I'm a little confused with the story a little bit, but, but it was, it, I, I think Don Shula to tell him no, it, it takes a lot of strength, I guess, to tell him no. Or stupidity, however you want to look <laughs> at it. Um, actually when I, I had, um, I'd gone to Miami, I was drafted in the fourth round by Miami. And then I told him I would come. And then we got into a, I was doing my own contract. I didn't have an agent. So we got into a little bit of a dispute over disbursement of money. Um, and then I flew to Toronto and they said, hey, look, here's the deal. If you leave the country, it's off the table. So I signed. And uh, I went back to South Bend. And <laughs> I'll never forget Coach Parsegan calling me at 6 in the morning saying, what have you done? <laughs> I said, I signed with the Argonauts. He said, I know. Shula's on his way on a plane up here right now. Don flew up to South Bend and read me the riot act. And, uh, and I just, I'd become disillusioned with the process of uh, spreading out a bonus that they wanted me to pay back if I didn't show up. And it was, you know, 1967 was the beginning of the war and it was 71 and I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't want to be paying back bonus money. They finally did change the contract, but I wasn't familiar with all of that 
the rhetoric that goes on when it comes to negotiations. And so I wound up three years in Toronto, um, and it was 71, 72, and 73. And for the Dolphin fans, they know what those years were like, unbelievable. Uh, and uh, then I Don traded my rights to uh, George Allen for a number one pick, and, and I wound up in Washington. But the irony of this, and this is what I tell all the Dolphins fans, when I didn't go to Miami in 1971, Don went out and got Earl Morrill from the Baltimore Colts because he had him in Baltimore. Earl Morrill quarterbacked nine of the games during the 1972 undefeated season. The backup quarterback quarterbacked those games. Theoretically, if I had been on that team, Earl Morrill would not have been there. And I don't know if I could have gone undefeated like Earl. <laughs> so what I basically say to everybody down in South Florida that are Miami fans or anybody listening, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just, I just saw Larry Zonka on Thursday. We had him on our show a couple weeks ago, and I, and I was looking at his Super Bowl ring, and I go, uh, I go, boy, that's, you know, make sure the rings of this picture. We're doing a cover shoot for a magazine. And he said, he goes, he goes there's not many of those. He goes, there's only one of these. Perfection. <laughs> so that exactly was a right. good <laughs> right. So in your book, and I, you know, and, and I believe, and I really believe there'll only be the one. With 17 games, I believe it'll get much more difficult to be able to go undefeated. The only ones that had a shot at it was was New England, right? When they lost to the Giants, and the, that's the only team that really had a shot, I think, at being able to match what the Dolphins did. And that's an incredible record. I mean, just you really stop and think about everything that goes on in football today. All the changes, all the people, all the injuries, the, the, the amount of games, all, that, all that's so different. And then all of a sudden you wind up you know, with an undefeated season like they were. Um, in your book, How to Be a Champion Every Day, Six Timeless Keys to Success, you discuss after you're done playing football, your restaurant and how, how you have worked in your restaurant and applied the ideas of teamwork and the attention to detail and do the little things. All those things you talk about in your book to make your restaurant a success. I mean, some people open these restaurants. Your restaurant was around for decades in terms of in Arlington being very popular. So talk about a little bit it's how you applied it. sports to your restaurant success. It's. It still is today. There's a Joe Theismann's restaurant in Alexandria, Virginia. We opened the first one in 75, had as many as six. Now we're down to one, um, which is owned by a, a group. Uh, I have my name on it still, so I have, I have a say in what goes on. Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's attention to detail probably more than anything. Of all the things you talk about, teamwork, helping one another, but it's the details. It's the little things. It's as simple as when I call the restaurant, I like them to answer the phone, Joe Theismann's restaurant. And then I like them to identify who they are. Because I just think it's a much more cordial way, if you're talking to somebody on the phone, if you can reference them by their first name. And from a business standpoint, if there's an issue at all, it makes it real easy to figure out who took the reservation or what happened. And you don't have to go hunting around looking for people. You know, we spend so much time talking about the quarterback position uh, that it's everything. It seems like that's all people talk about. You're an expert at being a quarterback. And I liked how you said it's the most dependent position. We think of the quarterbacks as the most like super position, but you said it's the most dependent position on the team. Absolutely. I mean, if the offensive line doesn't block, if runners don't gain yards, if receivers don't catch balls, if defenses don't stop people and you know what it's like, you know, ask the Buffalo Bills what it's like if a kicker doesn't make a kick. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's, you know, you, you, really, you really have to look at the position, I think, very objectively and say, you can't be successful without one, 
But if you have a really good one, there needs to be a team around it. And the classic example is San Francisco this year with Brock Purdy. You know, that's a heck of a football team. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're in the NFC Championship game and he gets hurt. And uh, then they can't go anymore. I mean, you know, and that's, that's it. So it is. I really believe it is the most dependent position. And talk a little about Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes, the two quarterbacks in the Super Bowl, and what you like about in terms of their success. And, and look, at just that, you know, both are such hard workers. I mean, they're really, it's great to have this Super Bowl with these with two great people like Hurts and Mahomes. Absolutely. I mean, they're both terrific young men, um, great work ethic, in, unique talents, unique skills, the ability to run but yet throw the football. I think a lot of them, you know, a lot of what they do, you beat, they beat you with their brains. They're two smart guys. They know exactly what they need to do. The systems are not easy. If you ever looked at somebody's wrist and saw, now it, it used to be you used to have a, a play sheet on your wrist. Now you have a book. <laughs> they, keep flipping page, they keep flipping pages to find out what they're looking for. And, it, you know, that has to do with the uh, communicators in the helmets. We couldn't have that volume of plays because, you know, it's hard to remember everything. But now everything's available at, at literally at your fingertips and, and through a communicator in the helmet. So they, the volume is so much greater. But, you know, Jalen has been successful everywhere he's been, and people continue to say, well, he can't, he can't, he can't. Well, he can't, and he did. Patrick, to me, I, I call Patrick, you know, the human video game. <laughs> he, does things that, he does things that you want to see on a video game. You know, un, underhand passes, pushing it with your left hand, jump pass. I mean, he does all that stuff. And really, I think Patrick's situation and, and his success to a degree has to do with Andy Reid as a play caller. I think Andy Reid is an incredible play caller. Uh, and I'm very curious to see what he's going to do in this Super Bowl. I think Patrick's going to be healthy. But how is he going to get the ball to Kelsey? Because you know the Eagles want to take him away. So, you know, what, what's he going to do with the tight end position? His wide receivers are a bit banged up, so... This is gonna this is gonna challenge Andy, but this is something he absolutely loves. So we wake up on Monday morning next Monday, um, and this is a two part question: <laughs> Kansas City wins. What did Kansas City do to win that game? Do you think what would and if they, we wake up and say the Eagles had won, what did what have they done? You're saying, oh yeah, that's what they did. That's why they won the game. Well, if Kansas City won, they do two things. Number one, their offensive line controls the defensive line of the Eagles, mm-hmm. which I don't think anybody can. And secondly. They managed to contain Jalen Hurts running the football. Those two things, I think that's what the Kansas City defense has to do. Offensively, Patrick has to protect the ball. You know, he's going to be Patrick. He's going to protect the ball. And, and, and for him, it's the offensive line. For the Eagles, on the other side, I think Jalen has to be able to use his arm, which should be healed, and his legs both. I think they'll want to try and run the football against Kansas City. Chris Jones was a monster. Uh, but I think Kansas, I think the Eagles' offensive line is one of the best in football. And I believe their defensive line is the best in football. And I believe that defense wins championships. So I think from an Eagles standpoint, you want to control the running game and just don't let Kelsey beat you all the time. <laughs> that seems to be every game. Every game. Is, you know, Travis, he's making plays here and there and everywhere. That's so a- I like the Eagles in this one. 
Wow. Okay. Well, then, from you know, from a quarterback to say defense wins championships, that's uh, that's great. And 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 one thing is why I just the one last question in terms of the current state. Why do we miss on quarterbacks so much? Why are there these first round picks that don't you know that don't pan out? What? Why with all this evaluation? Why do all the smartest men and the women in the room can't figure out you know who should be the best quarterback? Why? Why is it so difficult to pick that quarterback? I think it, it isn't necessarily the individual. If you're if you're picking uh, high in the draft, you probably need more on your football team than a quarterback. And it goes back to what we were talking about before. It's the most dependent position on the field. Well, if you're bringing a young person in who really doesn't understand the game, and it takes two or three years to be able to get a grasp of it, if you don't understand it and you're looking at stuff that you've never seen before, and you're playing against guys that are as fast as anybody you've ever played against, and they're all that fast, it's not going to be a successful event. And you, you, want to, you, know, you have to protect them mentally and physically, and you have to be able to commit to the young guy and say, okay, you're going to be our guy, we're going to put you through some tough times, you're going to go through some tough times, but you're going to come out of it better for us. And then you start to build the team around. Again, I use the San Francisco 49ers as a classic example, and the team that they built around the quarterback position. So, Joe, I, again, I want to encourage people. I, I went to your book. I went on Amazon yesterday. You can just order it, download it on Kindle. It's one of those type of books where in a few hours you can read it or you can read sections of the book for motivation. It's a motivational book. Even if you hate football, you know, I liked how you wrote the book. It really is not a football book. It's a motivational book. So, I, you know, I wish you the best success in the book and for people to go out and Thank buy you. it. Buy it and just, or just download it and put it on your iPhone. You can read it online. And I will tell you one other thing, too, is... I- it's, it's on a, there's an audio version, and I did the audio version. It's the hardest thing I've ever done <laughs> in a recording session in my life. Um, you know, I just, I, just, I just played golf with Brett Young out in Hawaii just recently, a terrific young country western singer. I said, how long does it take you to write a song? And at the most, four hours. Sometimes I can do it in the length of a shower. And I'm thinking, <laughs> wow. And, you know, it took me it took me five sessions and four redos to be able to do the book. And by the way, I have a new. Uh, if anybody's interested, I have a new Twitter uh, account. It's at Joe Seven Theisman. At so if Joe Seven, hit me up, and I'll at Joe Seven Theisman. And I and I like the number seven. <laughs> number seven. No, that's fantastic. I mean that. And and is your book available on your on your Twitter? Can you book, do that, or should you just go through the Amazons and Barnes and Nobles to get your book? Amazon, Barnes & Noble is the best way to do it. Okay, Joe, I really appreciate you taking this time out right before the Super Bowl to talk about your book, to talk about the Super Bowl. I really appreciate you coming on Iron Sports. Thank you so much. You're welcome, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. Awesome stuff there. Joe Theismann here on Ira on Sports at 731. I'm Mike Balsama. All right, let's act like we just started the show normal and didn't just have a uh, you know one of the best quarterbacks of all time on the show. Ira, where you been? This is kind of a kind of a cool week. Oh, this was a great week, and f- I, I just I I mean I sort of I think I went to bed like I think Sunday it would have been sa- su- Sunday Saturday night. I said I can't believe everything I did. <laughs> I mean this was really a different type of week. Uh, one of the the coolest things was that on Tuesday we talked. I mentioned if you just heard the interview with uh, Joe Theismann, I went to we had Larry Zonka on two weeks ago on the show. Their Metropolitan Magazine is doing a, 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 an article about him. You Using the, our interview as a basis for mm-hmm. the show, for so using our interview.
interview as the basis for the article, and they were going to do a, put it on the cover. So a photographer was going up there, and he lives at Oak Hill, which is two hour, two and a half hours north of West Palm. And the photographer wanted a ride, so I said, "Look, I'll, I'll drive the photographer up." So we went up to his house, and he was so gracious, so nice. Audrey, his life partner, was there, and we took pictures for an hour. He's right on the water. He's a big fisherman, and everything. It was just cool to spend time with him, and and he told you know special stories and everything. It was just really cool, and he was one of the nicest people I could ever met, and and so just relaxed, and it was it was. He lives on the water, and dolphins are in the water in front of him. Now, we couldn't get any dolphins to come out, but that would have been so funny <laughs> that, that one of the greatest Miami dolphins of all time, it sits on, on, a, on a, it's like a sound sort of with the ocean. And he goes, and the dolphins come right in front of him, come right in front of him. The and photographer jump must have been ready for that. that oh, I know, I up. wanted to say, we gotta get dolphins out here for this. So I thought he was excited with that. That was Tuesday. And then Thursday, we had uh, um, uh, Steve Mayer, who, uh, from the NHL front office. From the office. NHL front office last week, talk about the NHL All-Star Game. So he was gracious enough to invite me to NHL Media Day. Wow, was that fun. We go down to the harbor side, harbor in Fort Lauderdale, the hotel. They had all the players outside, right on the, like where the ocean was, where the beach was, but they were on the beach, but they were in the hotel at that side in the area and the, where the pool and everything was. And you could just ask questions and they were sitting in their little stands and with their names in front of them. And uh, I was, Jack Hughes was there, Vizileski, uh, Coach Cassidy, Coach DeBoer. I got there a little, 15 minutes, I missed the first section of like McDavid and Crosby, but it was pretty cool to spend time there with all the hockey media, asking questions, talking to the people. Um, I was talking to Cassidy about Vegas and everything about what he enjoyed about Las Vegas and about the passion there. So that was pretty fun to go do that on Tuesday, on Thursday, I mean. And then Saturday, I went to the NHL All-Star, my first NHL All-Star game down in Sunrise, and what an experience that was. So did you happen to hear what Wayne Gretzky said about Jack Hughes? No. He said that he's... If anyone's going to be the next Connor McDavid, it's him. Oh. He said he's fantastic. Wayne Gretzky said that, so that's a pretty big compliment. You got up close and personal with him, and also the best goalie on the planet in Andre Vasilevsky. So that was really cool. Well, and and then and they were they asked Vasilevsky about Brady. You know, consider he plays in Tampa, so they were saying, "What about Brady's retirement?" And Vasilevsky was talking almost like a fan, like, "Oh my God!" Oh, yeah. Like uh, you know, like here he is, the greatest goalie, you know, Stanley <laughs> Cup champion, and he's talking about Brady like like a fan would talk about him and being in Tampa with him. So he's like, "I got a jersey." Jersey signed by him one time and stuff like that. I mean, it was pretty cool. But I love that whole atmosphere and everything. And and, and the game we can we start talking talk about right now. But I thought the game. Um, was weird in terms of you have three on three and the different divisions and everything. But I loved getting there super early. You know, I love to get places super early. And then during the warmups, you have Sidney Crosby. Alex Ovechkin, and they're you know just play, just shooting, passing the puck, shooting. They don't have their helmets on, so they're 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 smiling, everything. And then I love Crosby. So Crosby's the most decorated, won all the Stanley Cups, MVPs, everything of a generation. Uh, yeah. And he's sitting there, and while the team is going and, and just and hitting the pucks in the goal, he's passing for ten minutes, like he's acting like the equipment manager. So the, <laughs> and then when they're all done, the goal is filled with pucks, and who cleans it out? They don't send someone else. Crosby comes over, and he's cleaning up all the pucks and putting them in a bucket. I mean, what talk about amazing? Like, I just can't. They're different think, breed of athletes. Can you see Aaron players. Judge like doing that with yeah. baseballs, like cleaning up the batting yeah. cage? I do not think Aaron Judge is cleaning up. Yeah, his imagine guy. seeing Aaron Rodgers fill up a Gatorade jug or something. No, I mean, game. it's just it was so cool to be there. And then 
I was behind the, I was on the glass on the ice and uh, and uh, behind the net, and it was I got some great videos which on Ira Sports, so I got some good videos in that. But uh, the Ovechkin Crosby team lost. They they play two ten minute periods and they didn't get to play the final. So it's ten and ten. They play like two different games, and then the third game was the two winners. McDavid's team lost, and Ovechkin's and, and Crosby's team lost. So I was a little upset about that. But Chuchuk, you know, from the Florida Panthers, won. So he was. Yeah, I was gonna say you got to see extra yeah. Sasha Barkov and Matthew Kachuk as you know on their way to the. Atlantic win. I'll tell you what, it was so weird though. Everybody, you could not go. I had my eye around sports shirt on. You could not be there if you didn't have a jersey from a team. And it wasn't just Florida Panthers. There was everyone. I sat around New York Ranger. I can't tell you who was the most popular. I mean, I saw as many everything Dallas Stars like mm-hmm. everybody was there it's from and these people traveled this isn't like local Florida people that I just had to be a Dallas Star people flew in for this this was great for the whole area and it was fantastic and I get the kids and they had every mascot from every team so 30 some mascots running around in the thing in the stands every kid's getting the pictures with every mascot it was pretty cool I it was a great atmosphere and and I liked it a lot I thought it was fun being there it was great for sports and and we talked about you know hockey with the young with the young generation boy they loved it I mean they was the stadium was full of kids. I mean, they just liked the whole thing, and the mascots were fantastic. So it's interesting, yes. Definitely check out all the uh, pictures and videos Ira got at Ira on Sports across social media. You brought it up last week when we were speaking with um, with Steve Mayer from the NHL. Everyone wears a jersey. Even if you're not a fan of either team playing, you're wearing your team's jersey. It doesn't matter if they're from the other side of the country. So, yeah, the All-Star game, everyone's going to have a jersey on. It's really cool. I have that- a video that I put on that shows the escalators, that escalator from the third yeah. level to the first level. And there might be like you know, 200 people on the escalator. And if you go, you see almost like you know, 25 team different teams coming down the escalator. I had it for like 15 seconds. Like, like this is so cool. Probably everybody but Arizona Coyotes because they can't get any support. And then I want to say Fallout Boy, which is a group performed at, between one of the intermissions. And I've been to games and they always have somebody, you know, like Super Bowl halftime show, people talk about those things. But it was exciting. I mean, Fall Out Boy was great. The music's great. And what they did with the lights and everything. And then the players came out. Like, all the NHL players were on the ice, on their skates, w- watching Fall Out Boy perform, which I thought was pretty cool. It's one of my favorite things with uh, Major League Baseball Home Run Derby is the guys kind of hanging out on the sidelines. They bring their families out. It's, it, it makes the athletes seem more human, you know, things like that. What do you think of the actual gameplay if people aren't familiar, the NHL changes up their format all the time. <laughs> so what they did this year was four teams. They each conference got a team, played three on threes. Some some teams only had six defensemen. Like they were just stacking forwards. The games were high scoring. I mean, we were seeing in just it was just uh, twenty minutes, and we were seeing seven six scores like this. I thought it was really cool. I, I like seeing the wide open ice and a lot of you know theatrics. Yeah, I felt bad for the goalies. I mean, they were getting <laughs> smashed <laughs> because it was like people were just standing in front of them and just like pounding. I mean, yeah. it was like I felt unf- it, it felt in some way unfair. But no, it was it was exciting from that perspective. I just I said the only thing I wish was that McDavid and Crosby and Ovechkin would have made it to the final, advanced to the the final one. It's Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's switch over to the NBA, Ira. I have a feeling, you know, after the Super Bowl, we'll be talking a lot of NBA as things start ramping up. I know you feel bad that we've neglected it a couple of weeks. There's too much other stuff to talk about. Let's start with LeBron because you had this planned out weeks ago. You're going to be at his record when he breaks the scoring record. I was at LeBron's record when he, well, not record, when he passed Kobe in Philadelphia. Um, Remember, he passed Kobe in 2000. 20. It was a yeah, 2020. And then after that happened, then then uh, Kobe died. It was like that next day Kobe died, which is just horrendous in terms of I was in Philadelphia for the game where he passed Kobe. Of course, he passed Jordan, all that. There, There's only been two, four, six players that have had the all-time NBA scoring record. Joe 
Folks had it. He was the first. He's, I guess he scored. The, I don't know how they count. He was the first the basket. First, yeah. The first basket, and, and he <laughs> held it for six years. Then George Mikan held it in 1952 to 64, 12 years. Dolph Shays had it for a couple years. Bob Pettit, and then Will Chamberlain had the record for 18 years. Will Chamberlain, and then Kareem. So, so you're talking about a scoring record. This is really big because it's been the last three have been Wilt, Kareem, and now LeBron is going to pass it. He's 36 points away. It, this has been hard to analyze. Like, you know, which games he's going to sit out, which he's going over. You knew he was going to do at home. They have a Tuesday and a Thursday games at home. So I bought tickets for Tuesday night, which is tomorrow. I'm flying out tomorrow morning and against Oklahoma City. And then on Thursday, they're playing Giannis and Milwaukee. I think he breaks it tomorrow. Oklahoma City has no defense whatsoever. It's only 36 points. It's not 46 points. It's weird. If you go to StubHub right now, I overpaid for my ticket. I paid too much. It's everyone thinks he's going to break it on Thursday. I, I really think it's going to be Tuesday because I think he's going to get you know, it's not like when I was chasing Aaron Judge trying to hit a home run. He could score 36 in the first half yeah. if they wanted to. They could feed if him the ball. If he wants to do it, he will do it in that game. And I think Thursday is weird. Thursday's the uh, tra- NBA trade deadline. So that's going to be a weird day anyway. I don't think they should even play basketball on the NBA trade deadline days. I think that's a mistake. Also, um, someone made a comment that Kareem's going to be there. He's not going to be there Tuesday. I don't think LeBron. LeBron has had words with Kareem. I don't think that matters to him so much. I think he's going to go for it. I, I actually think he's breaking it on tomorrow night. So that's why I'm getting up and having a play at seven in the morning tomorrow flying to LA because I think it's going to be tomorrow night even though if you look at StubHub it's like triple the ticket and look at the odds and and the uh, bookies I mean Caesars has has the odds on Thursday but it's only 36 points if it's triple on Thursday take a gambling and just sell your ticket I, <laughs> I don't I still because what if he doesn't course, then I need to have it I would, I'm excited to be there I like these individual individual moments I think this is a big this is big this is really big the all time because he's going to hold this for he like I might die before someone breaks yeah. this record. Like this is this could be because he's going to play for another. Going to have the best chance, maybe. This is like a that. Tom Brady situation because he's now going to play for four or five more years, and there's no young player. Like people mentioned Durant, but Durant keeps getting hurt, getting injured. Durant's not going to catch him. I just don't know who. And and some of these younger players, you see how they sit out, they don't play 82 games. I'm telling you, he might hold his record for 30, 40 years. I saw someone bring up a good point today about LeBron in this situation. Not a knock on him or anything compared to Kareem, but he got a four-year head start on Kareem by not going to college. Not going to college and the three-point shots, which is a big thing because mm-hmm. he's able to take the three-point shooting, and that adds, I think, another 3,000 points. I think Kareem had one in his career. Yeah, one in his career, he's 3,000. <laughs> Even when you compare it to other players, like Jordan did have many three-point shots because people didn't shoot the three back in those days. Now they shoot them a lot. So that is, you know, if they, if they added a five- and six-point play, then it's really not fair. Then LeBron would complain. <laughs> <laughs> like they're doing this, but no, I think it's pretty cool. I want to be there for this. It'll be a great atmosphere. And uh, I was there at Kobe. Look, I've been at some big games in, at Staples Crypto. I was at Kobe's last game, um, so it'll be it'll be exciting to see there. So, Ira, your boy, one of your favorite players, Kyrie Irving, traded from the Brooklyn Nets in what was arguably the worst big three ever assembled. It's now completely disbanded. Kyrie's going to Dallas Mavericks? I didn't see this one coming. No, I mean, I think Kyrie's the most overrated player in all of sports and maybe in my lifetime. I just, I, everyone keeps saying, Stephen A goes, he's box he's up. the best player in basketball. Oh, I just can't. <laughs> like, he was three, I just want to go, give me 30 seconds, I'm going to go real fast. Three years, he was on the Cavs, no LeBron. His record was 21 wins, 24 wins, 33 wins. He only played 50, 59, 71 games. So three years without LeBron was terrible. LeBron comes there he makes they take to the MFI but he got hurt so he couldn't play in that the next year Kyrie has a shot so he has a great shot that's so great but the next year he doesn't even talk they make it to the finals but Kyrie's not even talking to LeBron they end up losing in five and but in those years I mean he played that was his like best 75 53 games 72 games but then he's on this great team with LeBron James 
I want to trade. So he demands a trade to Boston. So they trade him. So they trade him to Boston. And he goes in 2017. They lost the conference finals to the Cavs. Kyrie um, didn't play. He only played 60 games. It was just Tatum and Brown. They make it to the finals. The next year was a disaster. He played 60 some games. They lose to Bucks. He was terrible with that. So then he wants out of Boston and he signs his free agent now with Brooklyn. First of all, he said he was going to sign with Boston. Yeah. I'm going I'm to resign. I'm going to be with the team. But then he backs away from his announcement that he made in front of all the fans. Then he goes to Brooklyn. Of course, you know what's happened here in Brooklyn. He he's go, he brings Kevin Durant with him. Well, they want to sign Durant. They said, we need to sign Kyrie, too. Um, he only played, Kyrie played 20 games his first year. They went in a bubble. He didn't want to play in the bubble. The next year, he played 54 games. They got hurt in the playoffs. They lost in seven to the Bucks, but he wasn't playing that. Then the whole vaccination issue, the next year, he only played 29 games. And this year, he started the year with the anti-Semitic comment. And then, then, then now we have demanding a trade. So he's played in Brooklyn 103 out of 236 games um, in 11 years years he's really only finished the year four times that he's actually had in playoffs I just and then can I just analyze to analyze and for the, they Harden comes there they trade they trade everything to get Harden Harden's there he's like I want out I don't want to play with this he he, he doesn't want to play with Tatum he doesn't want to play with Brown he doesn't want to play with LeBron he doesn't want to play with Kevin Durant I mean he doesn't want to play with Harden it's and now he's going to go to Luka in Dallas and I was just saw with Dallas three weeks ago and Luke is the most ball dominating. If you go to like a high school basketball game, you see guy dribbles. That's Luca dribbles the entire time, like the entire the ball's time. Always in his hands. And Kyrie needs the ball. Like this is not like Clay Thompson would be perfect. Luca. This is the worst. I can't think of a worse match. And this is what Dallas wanted. They got it, but they only have it for one year. The one thing is they dumped Dinwiddie's salary and, and Finney Smith, which are salaries that go in for a couple more years. So they will have, if they don't re-sign Kyrie, he have $40 million in cap room. But I just think, they, Luka doesn't play a lot of defense at all, and Kyrie doesn't play defense. This is going to be a disaster. Like, it doesn't, to me, it means, it's, I don't, it's not going to, they're not going to go to the finals because of this. It, when I first saw it, that was my, my thought process. Like, how does this make them better? You can't just put two ball-dominant guys on one team, trade away all your defense, and think that you're somehow better. They're not, you know, they're not looking like a top team as it is anyway, but I think they got worse through this trade of acquiring Kyrie. Right, well, you know, Kyrie demanded more money. He wanted a four-year, $200 million, and I was shocked. I thought no one's going to give him more than a year contract, and supposedly the Nets were close to doing it, but they wanted the third or fourth year guaranteed if he wins the title and all this other stuff, so he was upset about that, so that's what he, why he demanded trade, but he wanted to go to the Lakers. Surprising, LeBron wants him now at the Lakers, and he would have. He fits with LeBron because LeBron likes to pass the ball. LeBron doesn't need to have the ball all the time. That's why that would have been a perfect set. But I think the Nets just did not want to give Tyree his witch. They're saying, That's okay, the today. we're gonna we're gonna send you to Dallas, you know, enjoy yourself. And he says all the right things now, but in, like he had been playing well the last week. They had won 18 out of 20 yeah. games. And everyone's like, oh boy, Kyrie's bought in, he's really playing well. And then the trade demand comes and the Nets finally said, Okay, you're done and go away. I wonder what Luca's thinking. Like he wanted him. Yeah, that, well, of course he's gonna say that after the fact. He said they said he wanted him, but he wanted there he's never had the star, but he couldn't play with Porzingis. Luca's a hard play. I, I think I said when watching him, they need Clay, you just need shooters around him because you just this is the yeah, this is same not thing. Luca should want just get me some guys to shoot and play defense and let me run everything. Basically, what Kyrie wants. Luca do. doesn't move without the ball. Like when he throws the ball, it's not like he's so super fast. Like he's amazing with the ball. Like I've never seen someone that quick. But when he doesn't have the ball, it's not like he's running around and going. Like he he needs to have the ball the whole time. He's a great passer. And Kyrie's gonna be like you know I saw the one video. It's like Kyrie's gonna be like Antonio Brown when he doesn't get the ball. Like he's gonna <laughs> run out of the stadium. Like again, Kyrie's never played with someone. I mean Kevin. Durant is not a ball hog. Like Kevin Durant likes to pass the ball. Kevin Durant's a spot up shooter. But it's he, Kyrie's never played with someone. There's no one like Luca, but he's never played one even close to him. Ira on sports, True Oldies Channel, I'm Mike Balsamo at 747. Don't forget, you got Ira anywhere on social media at Ira on sports. Any 
other trades you could see going down. I like you said, we're three days away from the trade deadline. There's a couple of teams I think that adding the right piece could put them at least into the you know the conference championship situation. What would you like to see or predict to see? I you know I'm not I don't know what's going to happen. I'm excited with it. I think Thursday. That's why I don't think they should be playing games at all because around that because I think you're going to see some moves. It's weird. San Antonio, Charlotte, Orlando, Houston, Detroit. Those are five teams. All those five teams are trying to tank for this Victor Wambailaya, who is from France, who's one of the, they consider the next LeBron James, who's seven foot four, does everything. I've seen he can video. palm a ball with two fingers. Yeah, two palms a ball, two fingers, <laughs> can shoot, does all, is, is, is better than Luca. You know, all these other things they talk about. He's the best player in Europe right now, and he's like 19 years old. So they're all tanking. But also, besides him, there's a bunch of players in the G League that are really good that haven't played college basketball. So if you're watching college basketball, like, I don't see any great guys. Well, they're all in the G League that you're not watching on TV anyway. So you have those five teams that are totally tanked. So they'll trade anybody. But it's hard to find from San Antonio, Charlotte, Orlando, Houston, Detroit, any, you know, Eric Gordon from Houston. It's, it, they don't really have the young guy. That's why they're so bad. You know, they don't have really one to trade. So really you're looking, will Toronto make a trade? Toronto's sort of on the 10th or 11th seed right now. Will Toronto get rid of uh, um, Fred Van Fleet, OJ Anobi, some of their stars players? Or will they try to say, look, let's keep our team together and go for it? Um, and then also the issue about Durant. Like, could could the Nets, like, could something big go down? Could Durant actually get traded now that Kyrie left is Durant, you know, who demanded a trade when the season started. Now he's signed for th- three more years. Would he, would he, would they could get a big trade with him? Is that they mentioned the trade with the Celtics for Jalen? You know, who knows what's going to happen? I'm excited. Maybe nothing will happen, but it is pretty cool to see. We didn't think, look, no one saw in the NFL all the trades that were, you know, Tyreek Hill and everything, all those trades that went down. So it'll be interesting to see what happens this week with that. How do we how do we look here? I think we're about fifty games into the season, so further than we than we think, things are starting to shape up for the playoffs. Yeah, like right now the six. It's really Boston, Milwaukee are the two best teams in the East, and the Sixers are right behind them. But I I'm, I just think it's Boston, Milwaukee. Cavaliers are playing well. The Heat are in, are in sixty, but they've lost two in a row. They're eight and a half back. The Heat. I think are trying to make moves. They they they're trying to do something, but it's they hard need to shake something up. They 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 are. They they. I think they would love to get uh, uh, Van Fleet. You know, they're, they're, I think they're trying to do something, but um, I think that's one thing. The Hawks, Bulls. It's it just the East is one thing. The West, Denver is four and a half games ahead of Memphis. Now Memphis is this feel good story with John Morant, but it seems like they are. If you turn the TV on, oh, there's a fight. It's oh, Memphis was involved. Now I defended <laughs> them against Shannon Sharp, but it seems like everywhere Memphis goes, they're getting in fights. They just got in a fight with the Cleveland and and everything. It's it's, it's really messy what's happening in Memphis. And I and then Sacramento was the Thursday. I love Sacramento. Great young team with Fox and Sabonis, but they're not going to win the fi- go to the finals. But that's a team's like, you have the Clippers, the Suns. I like Golden State because, again, these teams, no one is playing. Everyone's taking load management. Everybody's off. So you got to look to see when they're healthy. And I just think Denver seems to be. They're up four and a half. And I think Golden State, if Curry got injured, if he comes back in about a month, I still like Golden State. But uh, Denver should be the favorite coming out of the West and Boston, Milwaukee in the East. Let's go to golf here, Ira. And, you know, we're doing the Pebble Beach Pro-Am this week. A lot of people don't like the Pro-Am. I do because I like watching Jason Bateman or whoever it is chunk uh, a pitch halfway across the green into the bunker. Stuff like that's entertaining for me. It, it, it makes them feel like something I could do. So maybe I should be at Pebble Beach you know, in one of these well, Aaron Rodgers won the Pro-Am, though. So, I mean, Aaron Rodgers can't win the Super Bowl championship, Super Bowl title, but he won He won the Pro-Am. Josh Allen said he couldn't play in the uh, Pro Bowl and then shows up at Pebble Beach for that. What are we looking at here? I know the Honda Classics right on right on the horizon. But we've got some great tournaments before that. 
Waste Management in Phoenix. So it's great that they have the Super Bowl and the Waste Management, Crazy. which is all the all the PGA players are going to play there. Then the Genesis the next week, which is in LA, which is Tiger's Tour, which everybody plays in. The Honda is the following week, and we just the the tour, the, the uh, field came out, and their best player is Billy Horschel, Sanjay M, Sepp Straka. I mean, these are no big name is playing in this tournament at the Honda. It has been because it's only offering eight million. You have Phoenix at twenty million, Genesis twenty, Honda at eight, and then Bay Hill has twenty million, and the players is twenty five. So this is who knows what's going to happen in the Honda, but this is of course the worst field you could you can't sell this field to anyone. It's the worst field. Even Ricky Fowler, who seems like playing here my entire life, hasn't isn't committed to play in the tournament. Yeah, and normally we'd have Brooks Kepka. He's not on not on the PGA Tour anymore. Daniel Berger, the Jupiter, you know, Jupiter kid. He's not going to play due to injury. It's a mixture of, of a lot of things here, but yeah, well, this is a disappointing. The schedule so far for and us. then the live. What's hurt the Honda has been, of course, the schedule and also the fact that a lot of golfers, as you said, that would play here typically, like like Brooks and Chase, his brother, they're in the live tour. They can't play. Matt Jones, former winner uh, two years ago, he can't play in this because he's on the live tour. So you have all those things and those European golfers like Ian Polder who played in here, he can't play in it. So that's why this field is. Yes, yeah, Sergio played a lot of out of classics, right? And it's 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 going to be it's it's going to be surprising for people to come out and say like, where you're not going to see. I mean, this is. A this is a tournament that used to had Rory and Tiger and it's Justin. Sixteen of the top twenty at one point. Right. It was one. It was like a near like players tie. It's it's amazing. It's just amazing. Anything else you want to talk about in golf here? No, no. We'll go. Let's go to finish with the NFL a little bit. Yeah. So. I don't know if you want to get into any more details about Larry Zonka. We had him on the show three weeks ago. You were at his house on Tuesday. Kind of cool how this whole thing came together, and they're focusing, you know, taking your interview and using it for a major magazine here in uh, Palm Beach. Yeah, I told the story with Joe Thais about the ring when he when he when, when I said make sure the ring gets in the in the picture. Make sure the ring gets in the picture. And and uh, and he goes and I go. There's not many of them. He goes. There's only one of them. And uh, <laughs> but I'll tell you what he. Is in his 80s, but he looks like if you needed a yard, he could get it. Like I would, get, I would trust him with a lot of over a lot of NFL players. I mean, when he shakes your hand, it was a hard shake, and he was he looks tough. I mean, he's. He's a tough guy. I, I, and his house is just beautiful. It sits on the water, and uh, he loves to fish. And there's a restaurant by him. I go, does that restaurant bother you? And, and you know, and he goes, I own it. That's why it doesn't bother. So, <laughs> and they closed out early and those things. So it was it was pretty nice. It was, and he lives. I mean, you want to talk about someone who's just down to earth as down to earth can be. I mean, the town Oak Hill. I don't know if anyone has been Never there, but it. it's really it's like a couple street lights. It's very you can see where he's so comfortable being in there. Uh, it's very down to earth uh, place, and he's such a it's. It was very nice for him to us to go up and take those pictures. I can't wait when the magazine comes out. Definitely go get to, get it called the Metropolitan Magazine. Tom Brady's retired. I don't know if it's going to stick. I have a feeling this one will. But what do you think? Oh no, it, it'll stick. And I'm glad I was at that last game. I was with my friend at the Cowboy game, and he's like, "We got to go. Let's go." You know, I'm like, "No, no, this could be the last one." I remember last year, I thought the last one was the real. Mm. So I've been thinking this has been the last for a while, and I didn't want to miss it. I, I just feel glad I was at that last game. I got great pictures of it. I enjoyed it. I've seen so many of his games. I feel bad for Tampa that he left, um, but it just felt like, you know, it really came down to. Everyone thought he'd go to San Francisco and Miami. I just think it came down to do I want to play in Tampa again I don't think he considered anything else and uh, but he seems I've just been hearing all these interviews with Colin Coward today he just did his show on Sears which is a great read he had Bill Belichick on the show he seems at peace with his decision um, now we just all we can talk about is Aaron Rodgers Aaron Rodgers Aaron Rodgers for the next I don't know three months because that's the one other domino that hasn't fallen so Dolphins made a big score this offseason I think the defense when they were on that nice winning streak, the defense wasn't really playing up to their end of the bargain. And they're a pretty talented defense. Bringing in Vic Fangio should shore that stuff up. This is going to be huge. We're mentioning this now. I mean, they know the Dolphins don't play again until September. But as, as, as any draft choice they make, 
this is Vic Fangio is considered the architect of all the current way the NFL plays defense. They're paying him almost five million dollars a year. I mean, to be the defensive coordinator, he didn't coach last year. He coached the 49ers, Bears, and Broncos the last twelve years. Three of the best defenses that we can think of. Uh, it was uh, it was it was great. I mean, th- this is and to get someone like him in there, this is going to be tremendous for the Dolphins. I mean, with all the issues they have with the quarterback and Tua and what's going to happen, but it's great to have. Well, I'm excited to see Fangio come in there because this is this is this is amazing. Yeah. And- a good defense to that team, and then you, you could put them up with the Kansas Cities and uh, Cincinnati's and, and um, Buffalo of the world. Pro Bowl was over the weekend. I, I think that people care even less now than they did five years ago. Pro Bowl just seems to get no sentiment. And then when you have things like Taylor Huntley or Tyler Huntley playing in the Geno you know, Smith, yeah, Geno Smith versus Huntley, it's really just lackluster of, of what we're getting as a product. They had great attendance. This is one thing I want to say: they had great attendance at the at the game, which I was shocked with. I watched it on TV. There was some. They need to tweak the rules about how they play it um, to play the flag football. Clearly, it wasn't working to have the tackle. So I'm glad they got out and they cooked the linemen and they had them do this like uh, tug of war type competition, which was I'm glad no one got hurt in that. But I don't know. I mean, it's like for young kids, they loved it. And I think if it's going to get more people excited, a lot of kids play flag football. I'm at first when I turned it on, I thought the angles of TV, there's things I think it can be tweaked and made better. I think the angles when you were watching it was wrong. I think people didn't know the rules. The rules were a problem that the rules seem to be so different than how we think about rules. And I think that complicated the issue. But anyway, I, if it's young, if it gets young kids excited, then fine. So be it. No one got hurt. Um, so I think it's fine. Got a couple of minutes left here. Let's talk about the Super Bowl, Ira. By the time we do uh, our next show, Super Bowl champion for 2022 will have been decided. What do you think is going to happen? Eagles are favored by one and a half. The over-under is 50 and a half. The one thing I'm certain about, this game is going on the over. I'm so certain on this one. I I just think they played in the fifth week of last year was 42-30. So that's a 72 points. Um, the Philly line, there was four and a half. And the over-under was 54 and a half. And it went way over. I, I This is what I'm, you know, Philadelphia was... Uh, um, I think in the game they played in that game, Philadelphia was up 10-7, and Casey was up 21-13 in halftime. For the game, Casey had 31 first downs. Philly had 30. Casey was 9 for 10 on third down. It was like almost each team had almost 500 yards. So that's why I really think, that's why I think Kansas is going to win this game. I think they showed that they were, that Mahomes was able to pass on Philadelphia. And I know their defense has improved. It's different. But I, I think Mahomes will get it. You know, this was in Philadelphia when they played that game last year. I mean, each team had eight drives. Kansas had six touchdowns on eight drives for that game. I know I'm keeping Harping on this game, Mahomes had five touchdowns. Hurts passed for 400 yards and two touchdowns and ran the ball. But the Chiefs also had 200 yards on the ground. This is what I don't like about the Philadelphia. They were 8-0. They lost to Washington. They ended up 13-1. They beat Chicago. But since December 18th, after Hurts got injured, they lose to Dallas. They lose to New Orleans. They beat the Giants in a game at the end of the year that just looked bad. And then they, they you know, I just think the wins over San Francisco, win over the Giants, were just, they, Hurts threw for 154 yards, 121. The longest yards were 40 and 29. I just don't think he's healthy. I don't think he looks sharp. And I think this is, I think Kansas City can pass on. I think they're going to protect Mahomes and they're going to score points, and I don't think Philadelphia can keep up with them. Uh, the pass, Kansas City has the best pass offense in the game. Philadelphia has one of the best pass defenses. So we have like the best pass defense against the pass, pass offense against the best pass defense. I think, I, I disagree with Joe Theismann, who said he thinks defense wins offense. I really think Mahomes, I sold on Mahomes, I think he pulls this out. But as 
as uncertain I am about whether I think it's going to be a close game, I am certain it's going to go over. This is not a 23-20 game. I really think there's going to be fireworks in this game. You're going to see points scored. Um, I am, where I would think that Kansas City would lose this game if Philadelphia can just run the ball. If Philadelphia just sits there and they run for 150, 200 yards, yeah, this game's 10 over. 10-minute drives. That's what I'm afraid. That's what I'm afraid of because then I'm like, wow, you know, they did that. And they have the offensive line to They do it. did that against San Francisco. They did against the Giants. And I'm sort of saying, well, those games are crazy. Giants were messed up. San Francisco didn't have a quarterback. But if they just sit there and have those 10-minute drives and they rush for 200 yards and Hurts runs the ball, Joe Deisman made that one comment about Hurts running the ball. I think at that point, that's how they're going to win this game. Um, but I just, as I said, I think Mahomes is going to be – I think you're going to see fireworks in this game from Mahomes. I think he's going to pass for three, 400 yards. I think he's going to have touchdowns. I think he's going to make miracles. He's been in the Super Bowl you know, second time, third time in the Super Bowl. So I'm looking for a magical performance from him. And me and you both disagree with Joe Theismann because I'm taking KC here too. I think the optic on Philly is that this team's unstoppable, whereas they beat the Giants, who were the most overachieving team I can remember in a decade that teams overachieved more than anyone. And then they beat a basically 12th round or 12th string quarterback in, in Josh Johnson. Uh, they haven't played anybody. And they haven't played a tight. It, you know, it's like, what was that? You know, I'm trying to think of those games. It's like, you know, you think of the NCAA tournament when a team just has easy game after easy game after easy game, and then they have that tight, real tight yeah, game. Sweet 16 or Elite yeah, 8 and game. Yeah, and then, and then, and then they, they suddenly, and then, they, and, then, and then they're unable to come bring it on for this. I don't remember a team getting the Super Bowl as easy as a path Who's as they the have. Who's the toughest quarterback they faced this year? Dak Prescott? <laughs> yeah. Kirk Cousins? Like well, they, that, and they only faced him one time, yeah. and they lost. So they, that, they that, lost that's again. What, didn't you? Right. That, that, that's what I mean. Like when you look at what Mahomes has to deal with compared to what the Eagles have to deal with to get their record, look what the, the what the Vikings' record was in the NFC. And we know that they're not good. I was at the Steeler-Eagle game, and the Eagles knocked the Steelers out in the first quarter. I mean, it was like A.J. Brown catching balls. The Steelers were ready for the game, picket the atmosphere, and that was at home in Philadelphia. Again, I, Kansas City's not – they're not going to get knocked out. I mean, even if Mahomes is down 21-3, to 3, you still think he can come back if and win. he's got a quarter, yeah. Yeah, there's not, this is not Brock Purdy. The idea is that they're going to keep coming. They're going to keep throwing. I think that Mahomes' loss to the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl is going to help him for this game because I think he for saw sure. – he, he, I think he panicked a little bit. He saw this offensive line broke down. I think he's a better quarterback than he was two years ago, and I think you're going to see this elite. I think you're going to see Mahomes put the stamp on that, like, you know, I'm not a – you know, saying he's the go to next go to school, you know, far away. But I think he, this is a, this is a, but if he doesn't, then the Eagles have shown that this offensive line is just so dominant and their defensive line is so dominant and it's a great win. And then you're looking at the Eagles and you're like, wow, I mean, they're just going to keep running it back because Hertz is only going to get better as a quarterback and we'll see what happens. We are just about out of time. Thank you so much to Joe Theismann for joining us here on Iron Sports. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night, Iron Sports.